0: And starting next Sunday night, we are going to be looking at a series, be in a series for a while, a series I've entitled, and I know it's a mouthful, 11, A Christian View of Creation, Sin, and the Genesis of Humanity. How to get that out. Looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, starting next week, looking through creation, some of the important doctrinal themes that come up. in that uh, that frame in uh, Genesis 1 through 11. Things like work, judgment for sin, temptation, capital punishment, the image of God, languages, marriage. You see all these things uh, laid out for us in those, or at least introduced for us, I should say, in those first 11 chapters. So hopefully that will be an encouragement for you. That will start next Sunday night. Tonight, let's look at Luke chapter 18. In your Bibles, Luke chapter 18. verses 35 to 43 is where we will be tonight. You all know the song that goes like this, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found was blind, but now I now I see. We say that when we sing that song, we say that in a figurative sense, right? Because we weren't actually blind. We were Blind by the devil, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, blind in our sin, maybe blind to Christ in a figurative way, right? But for the man that we see tonight in this passage, it was very, very literal for him. It's extremely literal for him. He was blind, and now he sees. There's another song, too, that comes to mind with this story, and that is the song, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my gentle cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. We sing a song like that, and it's true, but for the man in our passage tonight, that was all the hope he had. Lord, do not pass me by. Don't go any further, because I have no hope if you, don't pass, if you pass me by. Luke chapter 18, we have a story recorded for us here that we see in all three synoptic gospels. That's the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have a lot of overlapping. If you read through those, you'll see the count of this story in each one of Matthew and Mark as well as Luke, the passage that we'll look at tonight. Now, Luke does not give us the man's name here, but Mark does give us the man's name. Mark uh, calls the man Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. So we know him as Bartimaeus. Matthew, in his recording of this uh, this story, he says that there wasn't just one man, there were two blind men begging. But Mark and Luke just point out one man. Matthew says that Jesus was actually leaving Jericho when this happened. Luke and Mark tell us that he was entering Jericho. You say, oh, it's so confusing, all of that. I don't think so. I think it's the beauty of the Gospels for us and how each gospel paints a little bit different portrait of the same story. All accurate, and I'll show you that in a second, but all from a different angle. Matthew's writing for a specific audience, Mark is writing for an audience, Luke is writing for an audience, and they're all looking at this same event that happened in Jesus' life and pulling out different pieces or highlights of it. You say, well, how how does it all come together? Were they entering or leaving Jericho? There's there's disunity there in the Bible between the gospel accounts. Not necessarily. In that day, there were actually two Jerichos. You had the old city of Jericho. Remember Joshua? The walls came a-tumbling down, right? That is the old city of Jericho that didn't exist during this time. And there was a new city of Jericho as well. So when, when Matthew says that Jesus was departing Jericho, he's probably referring to old Jericho. Whereas Mark and Luke, when they say he was entering Jericho, he's probably referring to new Jericho. Make sense? That sounds like a logical explanation for that. You say, okay, well, one said there was one man, one says there were two. How many were there? Probably two, right? But Mark and Luke highlight one man. Why? Probably the spokesman. Probably the one that was the outspoken. And we'll see in the, in the story today, he was an outspoken person. And maybe he was kind of the spokesman of the two, and so they just highlighted him and his interaction with Jesus. Either way, Jesus is is coming through Jericho here in his travels, and he has this incredible encounter with, with a blind man. As you'll see, he has unshakable passion to get to Christ. Let's read the first four verses here, 35 to 39, chapter 18. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passes by. And he cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. There's that song. Do not pass me by. Do not pass me by. Verse 39, and they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. First thing I want you to see tonight is number one, the fervency of Bartimaeus. The fervency of of Bartimaeus. Here's a man begging by the side of the road with little hope in life. Very little hope in life. Almost no chance of him changing his circumstance. Bartimaeus here. No chance in life. Now the Bible doesn't tell us when he became blind. Some of the other stories where Jesus interacts with people, we see, well, this man was blind from birth or he was lame from childhood or or whatever. We don't have that information for him. And so it makes us kind of wonder, was Bartimaeus blind from birth? and his whole life has just been miserable. Just kicked to the curb in life, and now he's just trying to scrape by some sort of existence, which was usually the case for people in that day that were lame or blind or had some sort of handicap. Usually kicked to the curb, fending for themselves. Or think about it this way. Maybe Bartimaeus was actually blinded later in life, maybe a a tragic accident or freak accident, something like that. And he, for a long time in his life, was very successful in life and became blind. And now he's reduced to begging in the streets because he can't provide on his own. So that puts a whole nother spin on it, potentially. Here he is sitting by the side of the the, the road, pining away for the life that he once knew. If only I wasn't blind, if only I could do what I, I did earlier for so long. Well, here he is, and imagine in your mind's eye, him sitting by the side of the road, despairing of life and despairing despairing of his circumstances. And he hears some commotion, kind of off in the distance. And wherever Jesus went, we know this to be true, you read through the Gospels, a crowd followed him. So here's this multitude, hears the the rustling of feet, hears the the laughter and the, the singing as they're coming in and whatever they're doing as they're carrying on, coming into Jericho. And he hears that off in the distance, and he starts asking somebody, hey, what's all the hubbub? What's this all about? I hear it. Somebody tell me what's going on, right? He's asking different people about this. And somebody tells him, as it it says here, verse 37, they told him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And at that moment, everything changed for Bartimaeus. Because think about it. To that point, it was a crowd on its way. Up to that point for Bartimaeus, it was a crowd of people that he was probably used to coming by. He knew a lot of dust was going to be kicked up and he's sitting there by the side of the road. He knew I'm probably about to be trampled again because this crowd is coming through and they have no care, no concern for me. Great, another crowd, just going to get my mouth all dusty again. But then he heard it was Jesus and everything changed. Why? Because he had a knowledge of Christ. Don't you see this about Bartimaeus? Number one, the fervency of Bartimaeus under that He had a knowledge of Christ. When he heard that Christ was coming in, it changed everything for him. Why? Because he knew that Christ was his only hope. Had he interacted, maybe even before he was blind, think about that, maybe before he was blind, maybe he had been somewhere and heard Jesus speak. Maybe he had heard about Jesus. Maybe somebody else had shared with him about Jesus. He had a knowledge of Christ, if you look at the verse, verse 38, he cried out, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew who Jesus was. He knew that he was the son of David. He knew what Jesus was and he knew what he could do. You say, well, was he a believer in Christ? Could have been already. Maybe it heard Jesus teach. Maybe that's why he knew. Maybe he had even seen before he was blind, Jesus do some miracles and he knew I've got to get to Jesus. He is my only hope. Now, you can hear the passion in Bartimaeus' voice, can't you? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says he cried out, he cried out, he cried out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knows he's his only hope. So there's definite emotion there in his plea, but I think this is very important for us, especially today in the world of Christianity that we live in. There was a lot of emotion in his plea, but it was backed by knowledge of Christ. It was backed by knowing who Christ was and that Christ had the power to change his circumstances. In our lives today, there is always an emotional aspect to the Christian life. If there isn't for you, give up on it. If it doesn't fill you with joy, if it doesn't fill you with love, if it doesn't fill you with, with happiness, with peace, and emotionally there's, a, there's, a, there's that aspect to it, give up on it. Just Just be done with it. So there's always the emotional aspect, but, That emotion is always backed by what? Knowledge of Christ. And why do I say that? Because we have a lot of people running around that just stir up people's emotions. They get them all on the hype train. Okay, whoa, 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 for Jesus, right? Yeah. But they have no idea why. So emotion is part of it, but it's always backed by knowledge. So here he is crying out to to Jesus, you've got to do something, Jesus, have mercy on me. You can just hear it in his voice. Why? Because he knew who Christ was. He had a knowledge of Christ. Emotion without knowledge is honestly just highfalutin nonsense, right? Knowledge and faith, knowledge and and emotion go hand in hand. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul says, From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So it's from Scripture that we get the knowledge of Christ the knowledge that backs up, that undergirds our our emotion, undergirds our thoughts behind or about Christ. So number one, he had knowledge of Christ. Secondly, he had faith in Christ. When Jesus heals him, we're jumping ahead a little bit in the story now, but in verse 41, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do? He says, that I may receive my sight. Verse 42, Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. So not only did he have knowledge of Christ, but he had faith in Christ. And it's the knowledge of Christ that leads us to faith in Christ. Now, think back to this morning. Remember we talked about faith? Was Bartimaeus' faith just faith? Remember we said faith doesn't save you. Faith in Christ saves you. And his faith wasn't just in faith. It wasn't just faith in a good feeling. It was was faith in Jesus Christ. Because think about it, as people went by him all the time on that street, day after day, hour after hour, did he call out to all of them to be healed? No. But there was something different. He knew about Jesus. And he had the faith in him to call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Usually Bartimaeus was asking for a morsel of bread, this time he was asking for a morsel of mercy from Christ. He was asking for a morsel of mercy because he believed Jesus could deliver it. And he can. So he had knowledge of Christ, he had faith in Christ. Thirdly here, he had perseverance to get to Christ. So he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And he must have been making a ruckus because the people in the crowd coming by say what to him? Bartimaeus, shut it, right? That's enough from you. Move off to the side. Stop making a scene. We're done. But the perseverance of Bartimaeus, the fervency of his plea, he cried out so much that the people got annoyed and even angry with him. But it didn't stop him. Did you see what it said in verse 39? They which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace, but he cried so much the more. It's like, yeah, I don't care about that. This is my one chance. I don't care what you think. I don't care if I'm, I'm being in a disturbance or an annoyance. This is my chance. And I'm getting, I'm getting to Jesus one way or another. You know, he did, and there's an important lesson in this too. Think about it. What did he have to lose? And he did something that's very hard for all of us to do. What's that? Go against the crowd. Everyone else is saying, shut up. Everyone else is saying, move to the side. And Bartimaeus is saying, I don't care. I don't care if I look like a fool. I gotta get to Jesus. And that sets something, hey, tuck that away. Because the crowd today tells us, Christian, shut it down. Don't bring that out here. Do it in your church. You got a nice church, do it there. Don't bring it out to the public. And we say, that doesn't stop me. Bartimaeus didn't stop him. We got to get Jesus to these people. He did what was very hard to do. He went against the crowd. Let's talk about that crowd for a second. We saw the fervency of Bartimaeus. Secondly, the flippancy of the crowd. The flippancy of the crowd. Now, who made up this crowd that followed Jesus? Jesus bunch of different people. We see different stories, different different parts of this crowd highlighted at different times. Some of them were true, dedicated followers of Jesus. Some of them were the the 12 apostles. Some of them were doubters that just kind of hung around. Some of them were just looking for a good show. Some of them wanted a healing for themselves. Some of them just wanted free food. We see all sorts of people that make up this crowd, this crowd of followers. And it says here that the crowd tells Bartimaeus, because they're getting upset with him, hold your peace. And I wonder, I hope it's not true, but it probably is that part of the crowd that was saying to Bartimaeus, be quiet, may have even been some of the 12 disciples. May have even been some of Jesus' closest followers. and Think of James and John, right? The sons of thunder. They're out in front of Jesus, clearing the way. And Bartimaeus is making a ruckus, and they said, hey, Jesus is coming through. we got to shut this down so things are, things are peaceful for him. I hope it wasn't them, but they could have been part of it. I hope it was some of the doubters that were like, hey, hey, keep it quiet. Let's not make any, draw any more attention to Jesus. But it might have been his own very followers that were telling Bartimaeus, move to the side. And it gives us something to think about by this crowd's actions towards Bartimaeus, what were they communicating about Christ? What was this crowd communicating to Bartimaeus about Christ? Here here I got several different ways to say the same thing. Here's what they were communicating to him about Christ. You're a distraction to Jesus. Jesus is too busy for you. You're not important enough for Jesus. Jesus has a schedule to keep and you're not on the appointment list. You know, you probably deserve the condition you're in. Be quiet. No one wants to hear from you. Your life is less important than others. Don't get in Jesus' way. We don't have time for you. We are doing the Lord's work. Shut up. We're doing evangelism here. Isn't that sad? Maybe even some of the followers of Jesus were the ones trying to clear people out of Jesus' path. And hopefully, one of those little phrases there kind of smacks us a little bit. Because it did me this week as I was thinking through this. I think, do I have the attitude that I'm so busy doing the Lord's work that I don't have time to minister to a Bartimaeus? You ever think about it that way? I'm so busy doing what the Lord wants me to do That I don't have time to minister to a person like Bartimaeus. Or maybe think about it this way What do we communicate to people when we don't share Christ with them, when we don't have time for them, when we don't care for them like we should, when we just, as this crowd did, brush them to the side? Let that sink in. What are we communicating when that happens? I dare say it's this you have no value to Christ. You have no value to Christ. Run along. By our actions or or lack of action, do we push people away from Christ when we're supposed to be drawing them to Christ? Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. These are the two verses ahead of the verse we were in this morning. 2 Corinthians 5, look at these verses 19 and 20. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 and 20. This morning we looked at verse 21. These the two verses right ahead of that. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, right, we have the word of reconciliation. <coughs> Excuse me. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are the representatives for Christ. We are God's ambassadors to bring people into reconciliation with Christ. We are not his bouncers to keep people and problems away from him. You see the crowd acting like that? You're a problem, Bartimaeus. Move aside. I tell you what, it it hits home pretty well. How many times do we act the same way? These people got a lot of problems over there. You're a problem to Christ. Let's keep the path clear so we can do ministry work. No, our attitude is this let's bring people to Christ and let Him take care of the problems. Don't keep people from Christ because they might have problems. The attitude of the king is to be, to be communicated by the attitude of his representatives, right? The attitude of the king is communicated by his ambassadors. And when we, like this crowd maybe, push people away from Christ, what attitude are we portraying that Jesus has? How do we portray Jesus when we may be working as a bouncer, and not as an ambassador. You say, well, how do I do it then? How do I I draw people to Christ? Great question. Back to Luke chapter 18. Follow the pattern of Jesus. Follow the pattern of Jesus. Verse 40. So Bartimaeus is crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. It says, and Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive your sight. Thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. You say, how do I draw people to Christ? Use the method that Christ did. I'm not saying healing people, all right? You can't do that. I'm not saying go go bring sight to the blind. You don't have that power. If somebody ever tells you that they can heal people, ask them why they're not at the hospital. All right, That's, That's your shutdown move for that. So it's not the healing part that we pattern ourselves after Christ, but what is it? It's the friendliness of Christ. Here's Bartimaeus, the one that everyone else was kicking to the side that nobody else had time for, and Jesus says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. Let him come to me. And the example that we are to follow is the friendship that we are to have with those that are dismissed by others. The friendliness that we are supposed to portray to people who are dismissed by others. Here's the key. Jesus calls for Bartimaeus to be brought to him because to Jesus, Bartimaeus was not a distraction to his mission. Bartimaeus was his mission. You understand that? Bartimaeus was not a distraction to Jesus. He was the mission that Jesus was there to accomplish that day. You say, well, how does he do it? Matthew eleven nineteen. 19. This is what the, the Pharisees called Jesus. They said, and it's really derogatory. They said they, they, were, they, were, they were ridiculing Jesus with this title. They called Jesus the friend of sinners. Remember that? Jesus says, hey, the Pharisees have called me the friend of Sinners. It was meant to be derogatory, but Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. He's saying, that's what we are to do. And you see that with Bartimaeus here. He was not a distraction. Folks, people are not a distraction to our mission. People are the mission. That's an important point to remember. People in our lives are not a distraction from our mission. They are the mission. Some of you I know, because I've talked to you, uh, know my grandfather from way back, my grandpa Merrill. He was a nut. He really was. He was just crazy. But people loved him for it, right? And why? Because he took an interest in people. And every person was important. He knew their birthdays. He knew their name. If he didn't know their name, he'd ask somebody else real quick, what's their name? Okay. And then he'd go act like he knew their name. That was, that was my grandpa. I learned that trick from him, actually. But he, 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 was, he was concerned about people. You saw that in him. I said, that's... He, he, probably more so than anybody else, made the biggest impact in my life and ministry, hopefully going forward, is that people matter to God. People are the mission. Be a friend of people, a friend of sinners when we have to be. Here's Jesus, and you see it all throughout his life. He took the time to kneel with, pray with, care for, build up, encourage, cry with people. He had time for people and he earned the title Friend of Sinners because of it. I tell you what, I wonder, would I I be worthy of that title? Would you be worthy of that title? Actually a pretty good title. In our display of Christ as ambassadors of Christ, we should should be as attractive and winsome as we possibly can be. Guess what's offensive? The gospel is offensive. So when you share the gospel, you may offend people, but you don't purposely have to be offensive. The gospel is offensive enough. Let it offend people. If people want to turn you down, let it be because you stood for the gospel, not because you were a jerk. Adopt the friendliness of Christ in our ministry. That's hopefully the the biggest point here tonight with his his uh, interaction with Bartimaeus, that we are to adopt the friendliness of Christ. There's a verse, as I I close up here tonight, Ephesians 4.15. And I think sometimes it's a little overused and just kind of thrown out there, but it is very true. Ephesians 4.15 says that we are to speak the truth in love. What better example than Christ of doing that? Speaking the truth in love. There is plenty of anger, There are plenty of opinions. There is plenty of hardship in the world today. But you know what? There's not much truth. There's not much love. And there's even less truth with love. That's what Christ was. We need to get to the point where we adopt the friendliness of Christ and we make people, not our own agenda, not our own goals, but we make people the mission because that's what they are. Let's, let's pray as we close out, and hopefully that's an encouragement to you to adopt the mindset of Christ. It says in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the friendliness of Christ. Lord, as we have opportunities this week to serve you,